Uh, this morning, I'm pretty excited, stoked uh, to jump into Romans 8 again with you guys. Uh, we're only going to cover three verses, starting in Romans 8.28, which we all know. Uh, it's one of those scriptures uh, that we know as believers, that we share with others. Uh, I had a sister this morning tell me, you know, I just never take the time to really slow down and really grasp the fullness of what this scripture means to me as, as a child of God. So I want to encourage you guys uh, this morning as we consider these scriptures, uh, just allow the Lord to really speak uh, into our lives because he is on the throne and he is in control and he is at work in each one of his kids' lives. Uh, we saw that building up to this point and I'm so excited for next Sunday because the last part in this uh, this morning, these three verses that we're going to cover really is the foundation and the context to some of the coolest scriptures in all the Bible, which we get to get into next week. So um, let me pray one more time. God, I do just want to simply ask that we wouldn't miss uh, what you are speaking this morning. Lord, you've called us to uh, yourself to be like you, to be changed. And we know that's something that your word does. You told us, Jesus, that we are to be sanctified in the truth, and your word is truth. We desire to hear from you this morning. We're inviting you to come and to, uh, to make change in our life. Lord, you're the one that does that transformation. So here we are. We're open. We're looking to you, Father. Please come and have your way. Be glorified. Uh, through this, we ask in your name, amen. So first question, and we have many of them this morning. First one being, do you believe that God is at work in all circumstances of your life? Every single one of them. The little ones along with the big ones. How about the good and the bad? Do you believe that God's in all of that? Do you believe that he's in your, say, prosperous or unsuccessful uh, business adventures? I know some of you guys are self-employed. You're doing your things. There's work that we are all called to do. Do you believe that God's in all of that? Do you believe that he's in my health and in my sickness? Is God in all of it? I want to start this morning by sharing a story of a man called August uh, Bartholdi. Okay, he was from France, and he got to do a trip to Egypt back in 1856. And as he was in Egypt, he was really awestruck. He saw the magnificent pyramids, the grandeur of the you know, sphinx there in the desert. He got to see the beautiful uh, Nile, mighty river there. And his artistic mind was really stimulated on that trip. And while he was there, he met another visitor by the name of Ferdinand de Leps. Ferdinand was there, okay, to sell an idea. He was in Egypt. He wanted to uh, cut a canal from the Red Sea to the Mediterranean that would really save uh, merchant ships from a long journey off the tip there of uh, the continent of Africa. In August, he was taken by this concept, and he decided to design a lighthouse uh, that would stand at the entrance there of the canal, and it wouldn't be some ordinary lighthouse. He wanted to make it special. It would symbolize 
the light of the Western civilization flowing to the east. And it took about 10 years to build the Seuss Canal. So 10 years, August worked on this idea of a lighthouse. He drew plans. He took models of clay and made it. And he scrapped a plan because he came up with a better plan, plan after plan. And then he finally had the right one. It was the perfect design. Only one problem remained. How are we going to pay for this lighthouse? Well, no one got on board. Nobody was interested. So the Seuss Canal opened without a lighthouse. August went back to France, defeated. Ten years of toil, of effort, wasted. And you would have liked his idea because it was of a woman robed with, uh, uh, that actually stood taller than the sphinx that was in the desert. She held books of justice in one hand and a torch lifted higher in the other that was to light the entrance of the canal. Well, after August had returned to France, the French government there sought his artistic services. His planning and designing culminated in the Statue of Liberty, which lights the New York Harbor today. So his disappointment turned into delight. So is God at work in every circumstance in my life? Well, after talking last week, we consider that there is certain, and we saw there in the scripture, that there is purposeful suffering in the life of Christians. So what do we have to rejoice in in this world with our flesh, with the devil who is against us? Well, let us this morning consider together all the ways, count the ways. Here in Romans 8, take a look at verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purposes, for whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And moreover, whom he predestined, he also called. And whom he called, he's also justified. And whom he's justified, he's also glorified. So really, this chapter before us, guys, culminates with the truth that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which we get to next week, so don't miss it. Make sure to be here because this is a great intro, foundation. It makes sense of all that Paul is laying out for us here because these three verses really explain why. So we're going to look at just a simple outline of these three verses. We're going to look at a packed promise, one of the probably most popular promises in all the Bible, We're going to look at our primary purpose, and then we're going to look at God's perfect providence. So let's take a look just at verse 28 for a little bit together here. This power-packed promise, it says, We know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purposes. And we know all things that work together for the good. Oh, wait a minute. I don't know if that's true. I want to believe it's true because it's in the Bible, but is it actually true? 
Well, let's remind ourselves, who is saying this? Who wrote this letter to the Romans? Was it some armchair theologian? Was it some hermit who was living off in some monastery somewhere? Well, it's the Apostle Paul. What do we know about the Apostle Paul? Well, if you guys are familiar with 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I just want to dive into a little bit of what Paul shared with us concerning some of the things that he went through in his life. And and I'm going to do this in a cliff note style. So just follow along for a second. Uh, He says that he had been, or he he worked harder uh, than most. He'd been jailed more often. He had been beaten uh, more times than he could count. He was at death's door time after time. He had been flogged five times from the Jews 39 lashes. He was beaten with Roman rods three times. He was pummeled uh, with rocks once. He said he'd been shipwrecked three times and immersed in the open sea uh, for a night and a day. Hard traveling year in and year out. I've had had to ford rivers, fend off robbers, struggle with friends, struggle with foes. I've been at risk in the city and risk in the country, endangered by the desert sun and the sea storm, and betrayed by those that I thought were my brothers. I've known drudgery and hard labor, many a long and lonely night without sleep, many missed meal, blasted by the cold, naked and or naked to the weather, and that's not the half of it when you throw in the daily pressures and anxieties of all the churches. Let me tell you what, guys. The Apostle Paul was a pain magnet. Read the book of Acts. This brother went through it. Now, if we go back and then we read our text once again with that in mind of who's writing it, Wow, (laughs) Romans 8.28, really, Paul? All things work together for the good to those who love you and are called according to your purposes. That is amazing to think about. And if anybody, I mean anyone, who could justify or, you know, justifiably resent life's pain, it would have been our brother Paul. You see, many of us probably would have responded with anger and bitterness just with a couple of the things that he went through. Really, God? I'm serving you. I'm a missionary. I'm out sharing the gospel, and you're letting this happen to me? Don't you know we got a lot to get done? But Paul didn't, did he? Okay? Somehow Paul learned to receive and to rejoice in what God had placed in his path. So can you, can I learn how to be able to live life rather than just enduring it. You see, guys, Paul says we can. But how? Well, it's by recognizing God's providence, his control over all events. And brother, sister, saint, please get this. If you don't grasp this, you will always see hardships as enemies every trial why but if you get that hey God is in control this is allowed for a purpose 
okay? You're going to find, rather than an enemy, you're going to find that suffering as a friend. You see, everyone in here this morning, we're old enough, we can look back and we can say, hey, God has been faithful. There's been some really hard things, really hard. If you ever want to have coffee, I'd love to testify how God has taken some really hard things in my life, and I'd love to share how God has been faithful to his word and allowed those things to actually work out for the good, for his glory, and for the betterment in my life. He is faithful to that. And there are a lot of hard things that we want to regret, (laughs) but we can't because God works it out for the good. You see, guys, um, there are disastrous things that happen to all, okay? But they work out for our good. Things that we ought or thought were disappointments actually end up being greater blessings. So I want to take a little bit of time with you and unpack this verse that we're all super familiar with. So what I want you guys to do is kind of just, hey, I want to take a fresh look. I'm willing to see if I miss something here. So if we slow down a little bit and just consider all that Paul has laid out um, in this promise, there's much here. Uh, One of the things is we know. This is how he starts. We actually know. It's not guessing, okay? (laughs) We know it is a fact, not based on a feeling, that God is going to work things out for the good. And this is something we have We have an unshakable confidence as a child of God that he is, despite our circumstances or our feelings, going to work it out for the good. And why is that, guys? Because God is doing the work. I want you to catch this. It's not us. God is doing the work. Some of you guys have the NASB translation, and it says this, and we know that God causes all things to work together for the good to those who love God. See, he controls everything. He does. It's not Mother Earth. It's not the universe. It's not by chance. It's not the deep state. It's not the billionaire's agendas. He is in control. The Lord is at the helm of history steering the ship towards his divine purposes. So if he wasn't, he would never have been able to prophesy so many scriptures. Why? Because he knows. He is all-knowing. He is in control. And he's right 100% of the time. You guys remember the analogy that God gave to Jeremiah the prophet? Let's turn there together. Jeremiah 18. I love this passage of scripture. Some of you guys are very familiar where God's speaking to Jeremiah about being the potter and about the nation of Israel being the clay. We'll pick it up in verse 2. It says, Arise and go down to the potter's house. And there I will cause you to hear my words. And then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another 
vessel as it seemed good to the potter. And then the word of the Lord came to me saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter? Says the Lord. Look as the clay is in the potter's hand. So are you in my hand, O house of Israel. The instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up or to pull down and to destroy it, if that nation whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. I love this analogy, guys, that God is the potter. Because let me tell you what, I don't know any better hands to be than, in, than God Almighty. He is good. He is compassionate. He is kind. He is loving. He cares for you. He cares for me as his kids. So here, when it tells us in Romans 8.28 that all things work together, it's not some things. You know, to be honest, maybe we're, we're thinking, Paul, maybe you meant some things. Maybe you meant most things. But all things, really? Is that possible for God? Now, this doesn't mean everything we do together, okay, works together for good. Say there's marital unfaithfulness or rape or murder or whatever sin, as if we could, you know, do every sin and then just blame it on, hey, it's God's providence. It doesn't work that way, guys. But what he does promise saints is that when we give them to the Lord, he can even take those Okay, together for good. You guys know that God hates sin, but once it's committed, okay, he can use it for good. And it's not just the good things that come our way. Um, Spurgeon, I want to share a quote by him. I love what he says here. He kind of really brings this idea together and how it works for us as Christians. He said this, Did you ever hear of a man who got health by being sick? That is the Christian. He gets rich by what he loses. He rises by his falls. He goes on by being pushed back. He lives by dying. He grows by being diminished and becomes full by being emptied. Well, if the bad things work for him so much good, what must his best things do? If we can sing in a dungeon, how sweetly we will sing in heaven. I love that, guys. And that's what the Lord does. Because he is at work. And he works these things out for good and not for evil. I don't know how many men and women over the years that I got to meet with, counsel with in our county jail. Some horrible things were committed. And God took that. In their time in jail, they came to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Do they like being in jail? No, but they don't regret it. Because God had used some of the ugliest things in their life to bring them to a saving faith and knowledge of Jesus Christ. To have eternal life, a hope that is real. Okay? God is at work. And his work is for good. It's not for evil. Although unpleasant or even painful, things, um, many things come our way. Say an oncologist 
<coughs> prescribes cutting out a tumor out of your body. It's unpainful to have surgery, right? That would not be a pleasant thing to have to go through. But if you trust the wisdom and the skill of the physician, and you take the treatment, it's going to be for your best. So best and clearest scripture, I think, that comes around this idea is of a guy named Joseph, which I'm really excited because we're going to be back in Genesis pretty soon. We've got one more study in uh, Romans 8, and then we're back to Genesis. And Joseph is the guy, the character, the person that is spoken of more than anyone else in the book of Genesis. And some of you guys are familiar with him, okay? As a young man, his brothers didn't like him so much, and what ended up happening to Joe? He got thrown uh, into a pit, and then he got sold into slavery by his own brothers. And then he was forced to be a, a foreigner there in the land of Egypt for two dozen years. He rose to a place of prominence, and then he got thrown into jail for two years on some uh, trumped-up charges. He got out, rose again to a place of provident, uh, prominence, and then providence brought his brothers back to Egypt because of a famine, and he had grounds, he had opportunity then to destroy his brothers, but instead he was able to respond like only a providence-minded man could, okay? He responded in love because he knew God was in control. And we read um, in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, but as for you, you meant it for evil against me. But God meant it for good. And we can have that right type of thinking when we believe that God is in control, that he's got it, no matter how bad it might be, no matter what others have done to us. Man, they may have meant it for evil, but God, because he's in control, and because I know him, because he's my God, he's going to work it out for good. So he lived, Joseph, in this constant state of confidence that God was in control. I also want us to catch, guys, because it tells us here, this promises to those that love God, to God lovers. This is the promise. It's not to everybody. So you guys who are throwing this verse up on a non-believer's you know, Facebook page because they're going through something, hoping to encourage them, no, they're in their sins. They don't know God. This promise is not to them. This is for the children of God. So this isn't some superficial optimism that everything tends, you know, to everybody's good in the end. It's to those who love God. And we're told it works together for good. Not necessarily feeling good, okay? Not necessarily seem good, and not necessarily that they are good, but it does tell us that they will work together for his children's good. So if a man loves God, if they trust him, accept him, if a man feels and knows and is convinced that God is all wise and that he is a loving father, then he can <laughs> humbly accept all that God sends his way. God, you love me. You care for me. You're in control, okay? Even though this is hard, I can accept it. So to not believe 
what I've been sharing, guys, from this scripture. If you don't believe this, this is what you're making the word of God out to be, okay? And we think, not know, that we cause, not God, some, not all, things to work together for good to anybody, not those who love God, okay? We can't do that to the word of God. Either we believe his word or we don't. I don't know about you guys, but I believe his word. I've seen his faithfulness. I know this to be true. Well, I don't always feel like things are working out for the good. Guys, we can't go on our feelings. You know that? There are some today that haven't come to church because they're feeling dirty. I can't go worship Jesus. I'm unworthy. Well, it doesn't matter how you feel. Because you're in Christ Jesus, you may feel dirty, but you are declared holy. That is who you are. You may feel unworthy today, but you are worthy. You are a child of the King of Kings. That is who you are. We can't base what we know upon our feelings. We need to base it upon truth. And the cool thing is, is when we begin to choose to believe the truth and live in the truth, our feelings will often change, won't they? Okay. Um, which brings us now, okay, verse 28 leads us to verse 29, which is really uh, encapsulating our primary purpose. I love this. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be a firstborn among many brethren. So this one little word here, for new. This is huge, guys, because it's not simply uh, state or, you know, that God foreknows, you know, what a believer will do, but it's telling us that he actually foreknew that believer. Knew there's an intimacy there. We read early on in the Bible that Adam knew his wife. There was an intimacy there. A love. God foreknew you. Wolvert said it's a term that also speaks of love and of warmth. He foreknew you. I think about the scripture that tells us for the joy that was set before him. Speaking of Jesus, he was willing to go to the cross, to endure the cross. Why was that a joy for him? Because he loves you. He foreknew you. For the foundations of the world, Christ was crucified. So, a couple of scriptures I want to throw out if you're taking notes that come around this foreknew or the foreknowledge of God. Uh, and there's many in the Bible. I'm just going to look at three. One of them is Acts 2.23. It says, Him being delivered by the determined purpose in the foreknowledge of God. Okay? Jesus was on a mission, okay? His crucifixion was prophesied hundreds and hundreds of years before he ever came, okay? The foreknowledge of God. First Peter chapter 1, verse 1, he starts off his letter by saying to the pilgrims in the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of the Father. 
And then another one which we're going to get into a whole lot of this foreknowledge and predestination, election. In Romans chapter 11, verse 2, God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. And there is that cool paradox. Well, how did God know that we would choose him? There's a foreknowledge that comes around this theology, this teaching in Scripture, and we're going to take a deep dive into that, and some of you guys are going to be really stoked. Hey, I love studying out that kind of stuff. I need to get some biblical clarity on that because no one's in agreement. Everybody has different thoughts. I just want to stick with what the Word of God says, guys. So I'm kind of excited, and some of you guys are going to nerd out and be taking notes like crazy and be loving it. But after chapters 10 and 11 in Romans, guys, where we're going to be covering all of this, it turns gears in how we as Christians are to love and to serve and to live out our faith, you know, in this world. And some of us don't like that. Well, guess what? This is all the word of God, and it's all needed for us. So once again, Wolverd says of this, it refers to a meaningful relationship with a person based on God's choice in eternity before creation. That makes me think about the scripture where it tells us that before the foundations of the world, Christ was crucified. Wow. From the get-go, he knew that we would rebel. Didn't we even read early on in chapter 1 of Romans? We're really good at suppressing the truth. (laughs) He knew that we would do that that we would rebel against him, buy into the lie, and yet he loves us, guys. Amazing. So why? (laughs) Why does God orchestrate all these events in our life, in our world today? Well, according to verse 29, it's to conform us into the image of his son. That's why we opened in prayer this morning. God, change us us transform us okay god's purpose is to make his children like his son and the cool part is he will succeed philippians 1 6 he will complete the work he's begun hebrews 12 2 he's the author and the finisher of our faith so when we read this little uh word conformed here okay when we study the scriptures, we should pause and actually ask the question, what are you actually saying? What do you mean to be conformed? Well, if you look in the Greek, it's literally to have the same form as Jesus. Christian. You know what Christian means? Little Christs. We are Christ followers. We are disciples of Jesus Christ. We are learning of him. We're becoming more and more like him. And it also denotes in the Greek that it's an inward thing. It's not just some superficial conformity. It's conformity to Christ's image. Christ's image. Some of you guys have been around freedom for a while. I mean, look around the room. Some of you guys have known each other for a while. We've grown in Jesus. He is changing us. There's transformation. It's a beautiful thing. I can honestly tell you guys, my walk with Christ, I'm not the same man I was just a month ago. There's been things, some hard things, that God's worked out for the good to actually transform me, to make me more like him. And I know I got a long ways to go yet, but that's one thing. Your heavenly Father will continue to do a work on you until the day you go home. He's faithful to that. 
So conformity to Christ's image, that's speaking to sanctification. That's what he is doing. So how is this accomplished? Well, I'm glad you guys asked because the Spirit, as we studied last time, he is interceding for us, verse 27. And he will guide us, okay, and pray as we pray. Uh, He's doing that work in us. And the circumstances in life will work for our good, our betterment, no matter how painful things might be. So when pain comes your way, just see it as another blow from the sculptor's chisel, right? Knocking off another sin or uh, edges from your life in order to be made into his image. Now, this brings us to verse 30 where we see God's perfect providence. Moreover, whom he's predestined, These he's also called. In whom he called, these also he's justified. In whom he justified, these he also glorified. So providence, providere, before, providere, see. So this word isn't in our text, but the concept is, you know, encapsulated here for you and I. This teaches that the events in our life are not ruled by chance or by fate, but they are of our sovereign Lord who works out his pain and purpose in the lives of his children. People don't like this concept. People want to twist scriptures to do away with this truth. And there's four things I came up with, and you guys can probably come up with a whole bunch more of why people don't like this, but the first one is distrust. They look at God's sovereignty, okay, his providence, and they have trouble reconciling that God, who is love, okay, and where God guides and governs all the events then that are happening in the world, even the painful and hard ones, and the unjust ones, They have a hard time trusting God. How can that be? They have distrust. I also see people control. They want to be in control of everything. They want to be the king of their own life. Lord and master calling the shots. They want to be in control of themselves. You know, I mean, what if God wants to send me over to Afghanistan to be a missionary right now? No, I want to control my own life. No way I'm going to do that. It's a control issue. I also see selfishness. They say, why me, Lord? Why this trial? Why did that happen to me when tragedy strikes? But really, they don't want to know the reasons or how they can glorify in them. Their real question, guys, is more of a complaint on the emphasis of not on the why, but on the me. That's their problem. Why me, Lord? And then the last one is pride, and that's the biggie, guys. Pride says, I'm not a puppet on a string. I'm not a robot. So all of these guys, they basically just doubt that God is good and that he can't be trusted. And it's true, guys, we're not, robots that are programmed for his bidding but we are sheep we are sheep who need guidance of a good shepherd that's who we are so jesus didn't say 
hey robots, hear my voice. <laughs> you know? No, my sheep, they hear my voice and they follow me. So when it comes to being predestined, okay, um, that means to mark out with a boundary beforehand, okay? We've been predestined. You aren't his kid by a chance. Predestined. I want to take a look at a few verses out of Ephesians chapter 1 with you guys. It says in verse 4, just as he chosen us in him. That's cool. <laughs> when? When? Well, it tells us before the foundations of the world in verse 5. Why? That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And how does this happen, guys? Well, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Christ Jesus himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purposes of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So the predestined certainty of God's gracious work in Christ was not meant to perplex men, but it should encourage us. Brother and sister, when we come to these scriptures, we should be reassured that our God so loved us, okay? And we can trust in his grace. And so many times, guys, there's approaches to this theology where people want to twist what the biblical meaning is of certain words. I don't have a problem with the word election. I don't have a problem with the word predestination when we're looking at it biblically. We need to own God's language, even though there may be other Christians who have given different definitions to these words. There's been much ink spilled over this whole controversy of predestination. The Bible says we're predestined, guys. We are predestined. And guess what? That should encourage us. That shouldn't perplex us. Man, God loves us. How cool. And we're going to spend a lot of time unpacking a lot of this theology in the coming months. Um, but God is just. We know that. We know that God is wise. Amen. And his exercise of free grace, even when his doings are most perplexing to us. You guys know that the grace of God has appeared to all men? All men. Some people, why did it find this one and didn't find that one? Do you guys know that God's the only one who has absolute free will? He can do whatever he wants, okay? And he's sovereign. Now, man has responsibility, and we have free will, but it's within his sovereignty. Do you guys understand that? And I don't know why some people, the grace of God, if it's appeared to all men, <laughs> why some say yes to the Lord, I will receive that grace. I want that gift of eternal life. I want to believe on Jesus, who is the Savior of the world, who is mighty to save. And other people reject. Because some people say, well, what about those people who live over there, who never even heard the name of Jesus, have no idea what the gospel is, the grace of God's appeared to all people. I don't get it. I don't get it. Why has he chosen me? I don't get it. There's a lot better people out there in the world that should probably be saved than me. I'm a dirty scoundrel. <laughs> I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. 
The grace of God is there. And that's where we're called to go and preach the gospel, guys. He desires none to perish. But the cool thing about God's foreknowledge and the paradox that comes around that, he knew that you would be sitting here today. Some of you have been putting your faith in Christ for decades now. He knew you'd be doing that. God can't help being God. He knows this stuff. But I'm just so thankful that he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And we get to go share that with the world. And the thing that's really cool is even in those that choose to rebel against God, the grace that has appeared to them, we know that God is just and that he is wise in all of that. I trust him. He's the savior of the world. Sometimes we want to put so much on ourselves, like we got to go do the saving. Have you guys realized you can't save anybody? That's unbiblical. (laughs) God does the saving. What we get to do is go share that good news with others. So coming back to this verse, when it says that we're called, that means to be chosen or elected, justified to be declared right, just as if you never sinned. That's how I keep wrapping my mind around justification. I learned that as a young man, just as if I never sinned, justified. And how is that possible? It's because of what Jesus has done. The great switcheroo, right? We get his life and he took our sin. It's crazy. And then being declared righteous, then we're glorified. And that's the consumption of salvation. That's the conclusion. That's the finale. We don't know when that's going to happen. We don't know if we have tomorrow, guys. We don't know if Jesus is coming back today. We don't know, but we look forward to it. I don't know about you guys. I'm ready to be done with the effects of sin in this world, right? That final process when it's all finished of sanctification to finally be there and be free from the presence of sin. Wouldn't that be cool? I can't wait, guys. And we'll be given our new, eternal, incorruptible bodies. And the coolest part is we get to be with Jesus, okay? Glorification. And what I want you guys to catch here and why this is so cool, because it's in the past tense. Well, why is that cool, Pastor? Well, let me tell you guys. Because the final step, our glorification, is certain in God's eyes. There's no question mark. Are they going to make it to the end? Are they going to keep the faith? Are they going to make it? It's done. Period. God sees it as finished. I love it. So God possesses providential control over our lives from start to finish. He knew us before we were born, and he accompanies us each step of the way, all the way to heaven. Some of you guys know Tim Talls. He was here at first service. I got to know him when I was doing uh, jail ministry, okay? He used to be a hardcore biker, dude. Ended up getting saved, and he had a heart to go and minister to the people he used to run with. So he got plugged into jail ministry, and I got to know him. And then he got to, you know, see just how fired up I get about God's word. And he got excited and started fellowshipping with us. So he started coming to our men's Bible study, and I've done hundreds of Bible studies with him. And I think I've heard him say probably a 100 times at least, God was with me before I ever even knew him. You know, and it's one of those things. It's just like he can look back even in his rebellion to God 
He was able to see the hand of God in his life, even in those times. But how much sweeter. And every time, Tim, hey, it's a wonderful day. It's a beautiful day. God is with us. Like, just love seeing my brother walking with Jesus and enjoying him. But it's one of those things, guys, God has been with us. And he's been with us each step of the way. And he's going to be with us until we get to heaven. It's pretty cool. So rest assured, you are in sovereign hands. That is biblical. He's got you. So our predestination is God's grace at work before the foundations of the world. And our calling is God's grace confronting us. And our justification is God's grace making us right with himself, okay, in the midst of history, and our glorification is God's grace in the consumption of his age. So, what do we do with this? I think we've got to ask a big question. And the big question in light of these scriptures, where we're at in the book of Romans, where we're at as Christ followers, as his kids, is Christ's likeness your goal? Aren't we to be goal-oriented? Aren't we to have a five-year goal plan out there? What are you going to do in the next five years? As a Christian, what is your goal? Is it to be Christ-like? How can I tell? What are your priorities? What's on your Facebook wall over the last couple months? How do you spend your money? There's ways you can look and see. What is my priority? How am I living? What's on my mind when I wake up in the morning? What am I doing throughout the day? Is your goal to be like Jesus? Then remember and rely on God's providence in all your life situations. Every day. Even today. Because I know some of you have come in and you're going through some hard stuff today. God's got you. It may be hard. It may be struggling. But God's got you. And he's going to work it out for good. I want to conclude. I was at a museum. Okay, I photoshopped that. But anyways, there was a, a story of a small pub in the Highlands in Scotland uh, there was a group of fishermen that had gathered together that afternoon to enjoy uh, a round of ale. And just as one was showing with his hands how big the fish was that he caught, he, you know, hit the waitress and a bunch of that dark ale uh, flung up against the wallpaper there. Um, and there was a dark brew that spilled down and the waitress quickly grabbed a cloth began to wipe it down, and the stain remained. Could not get it off of there. Um, but at, at another table, a man stood up, and he came over. He took a crayon out of his pocket, and as all the pub watched, uh, he began to draw this magnificent stag with spreading antlers. And under his hand, the mistake that had become had become a beautiful thing. The artist was Sir Edwin Lancier, and at the time he was England's greatest painter and he loved painting animals. 
I want to ask, will you let God do the same thing in your life to your dark stains of your past? Because that's our big God. He works all things together for the good to those who love him and who are called according to his purposes. So what I want to do in our few moments together still this morning is go to the Lord's table together in communion. And the reason I want to do that because it kind of comes back around where we concluded here. Because we have our stuff. We have our past. But there's something that happens when we remember Jesus. We find a hope. (laughs) We find encouragement. We look to him and know that he's a big God. And we know how much he loves us because he demonstrated his love for us when we were yet sinners. He died upon that cross. So I want you guys, as you come to the Lord's table, as we partake together, I want you to really think through, you know, what is my goal? <laughs> is it to be more like you, Jesus? And I do believe that we become <clears throat> like those that we hang with. <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about? You ever see like a married couple, they're married for a while, they start to look alike after a while. Isn't that the weirdest thing? Some of them even go as far as wearing jumping jumpsuits, matching jumpsuits. Anyways, <laughs> but we, we end up, you know, being like the people we hang with. And I don't know about you guys, but Jesus is the best, right? Being with him, hanging with him, allowing his Holy Spirit with our spirit to work, to change us. It's a beautiful thing. So I'm going to hand out communion. And then I want you guys to hang on to it, and then we'll all partake together once it's handed out. Oh, you want to pass some out? Thanks. Oh, you can pass them out. That's awesome. Good husband, Rob. All right, did we miss anybody? You guys are awesome helpers. I don't know about you guys, but I am so glad that he is the one sitting on the throne who's in control of all things. Father, we are so thankful that you are good. We know that you are just. Thank you that mercy triumphs over judgment. Thank you for the hope of the gospel. Thank you for the life that you lived sacrifice you made upon that cross being nailed to that uh, wood that tree for the forgiveness of our sins what a savior what a god to resurrect only you can proclaim to be the resurrection of life we thank you for the life that we have in you father thank you so much for all that you do 
Lord, despite us. Thank you that you chose us. Thank you, God, that you are work in our lives. God, we, as your people, as a church family here, we, we're going to keep looking to you, encouraging one another, Lord, just to uh, keep the faith, keep tr- trusting, keep hoping, keep believing your word. Thank you so much for this truth before us this morning. Thank you so much, Jesus, for who you are, all that you've done and all that you're doing, that you don't change. God, you're still Savior. Thank you. Let's partake together, guys. you guys really believe what God declares of himself in his word. He really is there. He really is the great I am in the scriptures of this world. He's the becoming one. He is what we need. And he is on the throne. I know we're going through crazy times, but that's life. We live in a fallen world. All who ever lived have gone through some crazy things. But the thing is, Jesus ain't tripping. We don't need to be tripping. Things will come our way. Hardships will befall us. We'll get knocked down. But we got a God who's bigger than all of that. He picks us back up, right? A righteous man may fall down seven times, but he gets back up again. And that's by his grace, guys. And I want to encourage you to learn to receive it with joy. Our brother James says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And it does a work in our life. And I know many of you and myself are testimonies to that truth. And I'm going to share something with you that I didn't share with first service because this has been a hard thing for me personally over the years. As a pastor, there's something when you're called to shepherd, uh, be an under-shepherd to Jesus Christ, he pours into your heart just a burden to serve and to love God's people. And many of you guys just have that too. Where does this come from that I just love my my faith family, other brothers and sisters? You don't want to see them hurt, suffer, go through things. Um but suffering is something, as we saw last week, God uses and is very purposeful. And I'm sharing this with you guys because I want, I want you to learn something that's taken me a long time to come to and it's been very freeing for me is to rejoice in others' sufferings. Because if you're like me, you would rather go through the suffering than see someone else go through the suffering. Okay, And you have your own sufferings and we can learn some good theology, come to trust 
God and what his word declares in light of that suffering and what we ought to do with it. And we've seen God's faithfulness and how he can use that. But someone else, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's your kids, maybe it's a loved one here in your church family, maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a coworker you've had for a long time. You see them going through something really hard and we want to do everything within our power to fix it, to save them. God uses suffering. And to come to the place where we can begin to rejoice in other people's suffering, that is a hard, very foreign thing to us. Uh, or maybe you guys get it, but this has been a newer revelation for me in the last year. But I'm learning how to pray differently for brothers and sisters when they're going through things. I'm learning to be more sensitive to the Spirit because there's times where I need to step in, speak, serve, love, be there, and there's other times where I just need to step back and just be praying and allow God to do a work because there's a purpose in that suffering. There's something that is beautiful right around the corner that's going to be glorifying to God and for their good. So I just want to encourage you guys Start praying for wisdom on how to be sensitive in those situations and not be brokenhearted (laughs) when you see a loved one going through something. But rejoice in that, knowing that our God is on the throne and that he's going to do something through it. Well, that's great, Pastor. I'm getting what you're laying down there. That fits what we just learned for those who love God and call according to his purpose. But what about this loved one of mine that still rejects Jesus, doesn't walk in faith. What about them and their suffering? You guys know that God often will use those hardships for a person to finally break and turn to him. And some of us have those people like, what's rock bottom for? We thought we hit rock bottom. They just keep going. Okay, pray for them. Keep praying for them. Keep sharing the love of Jesus with them. But again, sometimes we want to fix, and I've seen people do this, where we get in the way of what God's wanting to do. And sometimes we need to let people go in order for them to hit that rock bottom, in order for them to get to that place where they finally cry out to Jesus for themselves. So I don't know if that speaks to anybody. I felt like I needed to share that. But there is the reality that God is good, you know, and what Satan, this world, our enemy means for evil against us. He's bigger. He transcends all of that stuff. That's how big our God is. So please, don't ever put him in a box. (laughs) Get biblical. Get some good theology around these things that we're studying because it is good to know that he is in control and he's got us. Aren't you guys thankful? I sure am. Well, Father, thanks again for this time with these brothers and sisters this morning, for those who have been hanging online and listening into. Again, we just commit ourselves to you. You are the good, good Savior, good shepherd of the sheep, Lord. Give us wisdom. We do pray for those who are suffering and going through it. I know some of us right here are right now, where we know others. God, we're just asking for wisdom. God, be the lifter of our heads. Keep our eyes upon you, Jesus, holding fast to you. What a hope, what a Savior. In your name we pray, amen.